We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Guys, finding a nice suit for a good price is tough. That's why I roll with Indochino. Great custom suits that are affordable. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure men's warehouse. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurement for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customization, submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. The Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. This is an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And this episode is brought to you by Indochino, Harry's Razors, and Roman. But, Jack, how are we doing? Live by Kai, die by Kai. Yes, and we died tonight, 114-119 in Utah. But we do have a big announcement. This is going to be our first episode on the Blue Wire podcast mm-hmm. network. So it's big stuff, and we appreciate you guys. We wouldn't be here without you. We're really excited to join you know, such a group of talented podcasters as well. We'll still be on the same platforms other than Blog Talk Radio. Instead, you'll be able to find us on Blue Wire, obviously iTunes and Google Play, and hopefully more podcast platforms moving forward. Big, big. Big news, but um, unfortunately, we're not uh, recapping it with a win. Yes, sadly, it would have been really nice to, you know, have this big news, cap it off with a nice win in Utah on the road where the Nets historically have been pretty terrible. And tonight, after the first half, it looked like a win was possible, but early stretches of the third quarter and fourth quarter pretty much cost them the game, Jack. 
Yeah, there was just some mini lapses, Nick, and against a team with the quality of the Utah Jazz, who are likely to be a championship contender. They haven't lost at home this season. You know, it was it looked like you know in that first half, like you mentioned, that the Nets uh, might give them their their first loss, but. There was just some spurts and on both ends of the floor, you know, some shots that should have been made but didn't get made. And at the end of the day, that's all it was. Yeah, it was that. And I think defensively to start the game, they had some really nice energy and effort. You know, it kind of dwindled in the first quarter. And then the second quarter, they played some nice defense again. But then in the fourth quarter, we saw them allow 35 points to the Jazz in a quarter they needed to win if they wanted this game. Yeah, I think that the first half you outscore the Jazz, you score 68 points on the the league's best defensive team. And he came I think it's the most three. of the season by anybody does, on the Jazz. So Yeah, but you know, obviously a 20-point margin to end the second half as well. I thought the third quarter, for the most part, the Nets were pretty good at sort of absorbing you know, the, 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 the run from the Utah Jazz. I thought they did some good things on defense. You know, obviously, that film session and practice did some wonders at least. I, I liked the rotation from Kenny. But yeah, the first half, it looked like I, I put it out there. We were chatting about it. It looked like it was the best half of the season the Brooklyn Nets have played, but um, I jinxed us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot of tweets out there. Like, everybody was excited because they were correcting a lot of the issues we saw in the previous games. It also helped that Utah was terrible from three, and I think that kind of skewed the view of the first half a little bit too. They weren't great the entire game, but they picked it a little bit, picked it up a little bit in that second half. Then also, like you mentioned, you know, the stretches in the third and the fourth quarter, there was also a stretch where they got killed by Emmanuel Moutier and Jeff Green, and I think any time you get killed by, you know, no, no disrespect to them, lesser players, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts when it's not, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, those sort of blokes, but... Uh, basketball just shows you that guys can just step up out of nowhere and for me it was it was Joe Harris who was cold all night and then was just an absolute monster with his two clutch threes so uh, at the end of the day this is a league where anyone can step up and really make an impact and unfortunately the likes of Emmanuel Moutier and Jeff Green were Nets killers tonight but I, I thought that overall the Nets did a lot of good things it's just that it just didn't go our way down the end you know I think that we had a lot of good looks Looks. There was a little things and little dinky fouls and, and such. I thought DeAndre Jordan was very good. You know, I think that he's going to get a, a lot of criticism and he's continued to get a lot of a lot of it. But the past two games, he's been one of the Brooklyn Nets' best players, and uh, we watch it intently, so we know that. Um, so if DJ is getting any hate, you know, I'll be certainly one to stand up for him because I thought he was really good. Obviously, with Jared Allen fouling out, but Nick, I, I guess we do we go through the final quarter. Yeah, we could go for the final corner. I'll just give a couple thoughts on DeAndre. I thought he had some really good moments in this game, but there are a couple, you know, this is nitpicking, but he is a veteran of the NBA, a moments where he just can't make that mistake. There was one instance where Jeff Green had a wide open three in the corner and he was there for like two seconds. And DeAndre has come out earlier in this game, like he was out in the perimeter. He just had to take two more steps. He probably misses that shot. That's a shot that gets Jeff Green going. And like you said, you have to defend everybody in the NBA and just allowing anybody to have the potential to get hot is what kind of loses you game. And that's been a problem for the Nets the entire season obviously only 10 games in but still the small details are what really mattered and getting to the fourth quarter that's what really killed us yeah it was uh, essentially and there was probably maybe one or two box outs from DeAndre Jordan as well that he wasn't as, as engaged enough and Rudy Gobert was was just the, the bigger and, and stronger bloke as as the guy under the rim but Nick that Conley and Temple you know we've been calling for coach Kenny to make some challenges it worked this time it was a great challenge. It really made sense. And obviously, I think Kenny trusts a guy like Garrett Temple. He's a vet who's out there. He said, hey, I got it clean. Kenny's going to make the challenge. It worked out. And they had an opportunity to win the game because he did make the challenge. We've kind of talked about in the past, you know, if he did that in the Memphis or the Minnesota game, who knows? We've been talking about a couple more Ws. 
Yeah, and, and I think as well, Temple on Conley, former teammates as well. You know, you could see them chatting a little bit when the cameras panned to them at the same time. But do you think Temple should have been out there? I think a big question that's been going around on this Twitter right now is that whether Spencer Dimity should have been out there uh, in the closing stretches of the fourth. But, you know, Garrett Temple was very good defensively. Yeah, I mean, I thought Temple probably did the best job on Donovan Mitchell and, like, staying stern and not getting moved by some of the the moves that he would put on you. Positioning himself was really important. I think Spencer had a couple defensive plays in the beginning of the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter, that probably rubbed Kenny the wrong way, including an Emmanuel Moutier layup where he hardly contested. Yeah, I thought it was important in the first half, though. I thought, you know, early on I was getting a bit frustrated by some sort of forcing forcing looks and, you know, forcing his shot. But then he started to get a bit aggressive when Rudy Gobert wasn't in there. You know, obviously it's a lot easier to get through to the rim when Tony Bradley is defending the rim compared to the defensive player of the year. And he was taking some threes and I thought he was just... Uh, whenever he was there next to Kyrie, it looked better. And I think towards the end of the stretch... I mean, it's a it's a what if situation. If Spencer Dinwiddie was out there, maybe Kyrie would have had some better looks because you know there's a, a second ball creator, a second guy who can create his own shot. But at the end of the day, you're weighing it up, and I think defensively, if we didn't have Garrett Temple out there, maybe the the loss w would have still occurred. Um, but Kyrie seemed to me in that last quarter, you know, he missed I think six straight shots, and it's two games in a row now where he shot the ball poorly. Yeah, this game, I felt like he looked gassed out by the end of the fourth quarter. And you mentioned it, you know, not having Spencer out there, there was really no offensive creators. You know, you have DeAndre Jordan, Joe Harris, Torian Prince, and Garrett Temple. Nobody's really going to create their own shot. So I thought that was an issue. And that maybe you end up leaning with Spencer next time. Or maybe even, you know, I didn't think it really mattered that Torian Prince was out there in terms of his size. Maybe you swap Spencer for Prince in that situation. You already have DeAndre in the paint. Yep. I don't know if that's a move you go with, but I would think it as a possibility. Yeah, I actually don't mind that call. I actually didn't actually think of it. But yeah, that, I think that would have been more than capable, especially in the final maybe two or three minutes when Prince was almost unseen on both ends. But and, and it's funny because Kyrie, when he was penetrating, he got the, the looks for Joe Harris. So he still draws a heap of gravity. And it just, again, it looked like his legs weren't there. You know, mm -hmm. some of the shots that you expected to take that he's probably made in, in the first sort of six or seven games of the season, some of the free, th uh, some, some, not the free throws, some of the layups that he would, he would normally make. Uh, and then him and sort of feeding DJ down low, DJ wasn't able to hold on to the ball. So it, it was just not his night. But, you know, Kyrie Irving is a constant professional. He'll learn from this. And hopefully, you know, you just put it behind you and we get the, the best version of Kyrie Irving possible as he takes on the Denver Nuggets in the next game. But, yeah, I guess live by Kai, die by Kai. And he's been so good to start the season. I think it just gives you an irrational depiction of his game where you're like, okay, I expect him to always be good and make all these shots. Like he was averaging over 30 a game. You know, obviously he might still do that after this game, you know, still scoring 27, but the percentages were obviously really bad. So I think maybe trying to find ways for to make his life easier and or also him relying on his teammates a little bit more. Obviously, Karis LeVert not being out there, that's the guy he's felt confident giving the ball to. That could have had an impact with him taking 30 shots. Yeah, it was funny. The first half, I thought he looked a lot more fluid, a lot more with emotion and, and a lot more sort of synergy with, with the rest of the guys. Whereas in the second half and the last quarter, obviously, you get a bit of hero ball from the individual superstars. And obviously, you know, there's probably no better guy to put it in the hands of than Kyrie Irving. Probably only two or three players who are equally, if not better than him. Him. But uh, I think if you have Spencer Dinwiddie out there, it would have made things a little bit easier on him. And for me, the, the thing that looked, that stood out the most was the three-point shot. And I, I watched most of the Phoenix Suns game. His three-point shot has been off the past two games. And obviously, he's one of the best three-point shooters uh, in terms of point guards in the league with a guy like Damian Lillard and um, Stephen Curry. But is it concerning at all? Or do we just put it down to just one of those bad nights? 
Yeah, I think it's just a bad night. Maybe they need to adapt a little bit more. I thought maybe that the way the third quarter started, we kind of talked about how it was such a bad stretch and the Nets couldn't get anything going. I think the Jazz went on like a 13-0 run and the offense got stagnant because the Jazz were doing a great job of reading what the Nets were trying to do, making some adjustments at halftime. They couldn't get into their sets as fast and then it kind of pushed Kyrie in to do some of that solo ball. And then instead of kind of getting back to going to the sets, you know, later in the game, I think that's where the issue came where it's like stick to the game plan, stick to the sets, you know, they're not always going to work, but at least run them. So you have an opportunity to make it happen in an easier way than just doing it on your own. Yeah, definitely. It's funny looking at the plus minus only two players uh, that were well, three players. Uh, sorry, that were positive, positive in the plus minus Kyrie Irving, David Nwaba and DeAndre Jordan. Do we want to break out in the first half or do we want to talk to about some of the players, Nick? Let's dive into the players. Who right, do you want to so, start with? Um, I think we go with Joe Harris because we have to because, you know, you gave me the option, so I'm going to pick Joe <laughs> Harris. Um, I thought in the I liked his defensive acumen, but there were some times where I was really frustrated with some of his turnovers, you know, some liable turnovers. And I think, you know, him getting benched early, um, in that first half for him, Joe wasn't feeling it. But to finish the game in, in the way that he did, you know, to hit some real clutch buckets, I know my guy Nolan Jensen put out there that he expected it from him. Um, I was certainly surprised. 36 minutes, 4 10 from the field, 11 points. Um, I, I thought that he came up when it mattered. He had moments. I think overall it was a bad game from Joe Harris. But if the Nets had have won, you know, I probably would have said it was a good game. Yeah, I mean, he did hit the clutch buckets that kind of keep you in the game and give you an opportunity to win, and I thought that was big. And I think a lot of people were, you know, were upset with the first half or Joe not getting shots. I think you got to start crediting the defense for just running him off the line. Like, that's what yeah. they're doing. They're not even letting him get touches at this point. You know, Kenny's going to have to get more creative in getting him shots. The teammates are going to have to do a better job of kind of finding him openings because right now it's just like the defenses are smothering him. I think the two-turnover stretch you're talking about, or even I think he had one turnover and then like a forced layup attempt on Gobert, and that was in the beginning of the third quarter during that bad stretch that's probably like the one bad moment that stuck out but overall i'm never really like super upset with joe because he's still providing so much motion and spacing for the offense yeah and obviously you know the the gravity of a guy like him provides i thought that the utah jazz guarded him as well as any other team does you know they were really showing him the utmost respect putting guys like donovan mitchell on him and you know the the threes that he did make were contested tough yeah. threes and and for me that's what i really liked because you know in seasons past and even last season joe wouldn't take those he would always only because you know they were quote unquote bad shots but when you are as good a three-point shooter as joe harris you take those bad shots and you make them look good and um fortunately it, it did at the time but unfortunately it didn't work out in the end but you know, Kyrie Irving, we spoke enough about him, Nick, but Garrett Temple getting the starting spot. Your poll, what were the end the results? Uh, I'm pretty sure end? Temple won. I think he was like mid 50%, and then uh, Spence was like mid 40s. So Would you the have fans gone that got way? what they want. Yeah, I think so. I think you need yeah. to have Dinwiddie with the second unit just as a ball handler, and like Temple isn't necessarily the ball handler you need next to Kyrie or Spence, but. He at least can provide you some different defensive looks, which he did in this game, and knocked down a he knocked down one three. It felt like he knocked down more, but only one tonight. Yeah, I thought that he's. I think that he is the, the perfect complementary role player off the bench, guard sort of guy. Has some good size about him. You know, he can create a shot every now and then, but it's not his role. He's the perfect sort of fifth or sixth guy in your rotation. You know, he's going to get quality minutes for this team going forward. And you know, he's at the start of the season we were worried about the fact that would he be able to step up. You know, Garrett Temple has proved that he is you know a, a complementary player in in the most perfect sort of sense. You know, he hit a nice three. He hit a couple of other nice 
shots and you know he just makes things easy for everyone else out there I think that you know with Carlos Levert out and he is probably our best defender in that starting five obviously Jared Allen really struggled with his sort of six fouls and, and fouling out a lot of them were just really ticky tacky so what did you think of his game you know I like don't really know how much to think of it because I felt the same way in the Phoenix game where like some of these foul calls that he's getting called for, like you would think that he's the size of like Shaquille O'Neal or something, like that he's just going out there and like creating space. Like Gobert did so much more on the other end in terms yep. of moving screens and he didn't get called. Like I get it. Maybe they're like personally looking at uh, Allen for what he's doing on screens, but like, yo, call it on Rudy Gobert, who was, he was a fullback at certain points during this game where I'm just like, you just got to call it both ways. Like he is getting offensive fouls. Some of them are on him, but some of it's the refs just kind of nonsense. Yeah, if they're calling it one way, call it the other way. It's not going to be as frustrating if Rudy Gobert is getting two or three offensive fouls as well as Jared Allen because, you know, there's a video, there's a video, a video from, from some guys on, on netrepublic.com that we're putting out on their Twitter pages where it showed clearly Rudy Gobert hip-checking. He does that quite consistently, but I think he gets away with it because he has the gravity. He is Rudy Gobert. He's the defensive player of the year. So I was frustrated. But, you know, Jared Allen, when he was out there, I thought he had some good moments. I know, obviously, you, you look at the minus 14 and the only he hit his free throws which I thought was good but seven rebounds in 18 minutes I thought he he's almost turned a minor corner in terms of his aggression he doesn't look like he's getting quote-unquote pumped or rooked anymore I think he's starting to get there um but at the same time you know I thought DeAndre Jordan clearly outplayed him but I, I thought that you know Jared Allen is at least making some steps it's just some of the fouls were just you know frustrating from him and frustrating from the the fan perspective yeah, it's just like, it kind of sucks as I think Jared Allen probably had maybe his best game of the season in Portland. I just felt like he was extremely active offensively and defensively. And then, you know, in Phoenix, he foul, he essentially fouls out. And then in this game, he fouls out. So it's just like, you, he doesn't have an opportunity to build off of that. And then you worry that like, is this going to hurt his confidence? Is he going to essentially play soft? And then like, there's a point in the fourth quarter where Kenny put him back in when he had five fouls and he like, wasn't really playing defense because he had five fouls. And at that point, it's like, do you even play him, or you just tell him, hey, play aggressive, you foul out, you foul out? Yeah, obviously you're going to be tentative when you do have those five fouls, but I, I think he probably should have shown the requisite aggression because even if he does foul out and, and DJ gets some extra fouls as well, there is a guy in, in the wings in, in Nicholas Claxton who, in the 12 minutes that he played, Nick, he, he's looking comfortable. He may not have scored, but he's rebounding. He had an assist. He had, he had a steal. Um, I, I think that this guy is an NBA player. Yeah, he looked good. You know, he looked like he provided the bench unit with some different energy, some nice length, and something different. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was super surprised that Kenny elected to play him and play two bigs, especially in the first half of this game. I didn't think – I thought he was going to be stubborn and kind of stick to, you know, essentially his smaller lineups or just having so much spacing out there. Showed a lot of confidence in Claxton. I think probably the team, his teammates kind of helped give him that boost that maybe Kenny was like, all right, if the guys want him to play, like, I have no choice. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, Dion – Jordan and him have formed this nice sort of friendship, both of them sort of touching the ball after a, a sort of foul sort of shot. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see, you know, when that three ball starts to drop for him, if he's starting to get those opportunities. But the rotation overall from Kenny, Nick, I thought was quite good. Yeah, I think it was good. And then also guys stepping up, you know, obviously yeah. Spencer had a nice game off the bench and Musa had his best game of the season, nine points, four or five, one or two from three, four assists, oh, actually one assist, my mistake. But I felt like Musa had some passes out there that really got things moving for the offense. It didn't lead to a, pass, a lead to a score, but it led to the next play that led to a score. It was his best game as a Brooklyn Net. Obviously, yeah. he plays a lot. He plays a lot of junk time, but he did everything that we've sort of seen from him in spurts in Long Island and in spurts in preseason. 
He can hit the three ball. He can move the ball, and he can drive and, and finish with both hands. He just looked more confident tonight, uh, yeah. and I think obviously that comes a, a confidence is a, is a huge thing when it comes to the young guys. You know, we've got all the young blokes in our roster from Rodion Skorowitz, you know, uh, Nicholas Claxton, Jared Allen, all these guys under 20, 23, 22 or under. It's all about how they feel out there. And when Musa was out there, he immediately looked like he was confident. Whereas when I was watching him and when I was watching him with you as well, he looked like a deer in headlights. But it seemed like everyone was incredibly engaged. And even though David Nwaba only played five minutes, you know, two blocks, the dude is a defensive beast at times. Yeah, I love this five minutes. Like, they were very active five minutes, and I felt like he had a positive impact in the game. I was actually... Maybe a little surprised that Kenny didn't go back to him at all in the second half, but I think it was the fact that the offense was struggling a little bit. But again, the Jazz offense was rolling, and they had over 30 points in two quarters. You want to throw a guy like Nawaba out there because the number one thing that he does is he disrupts the other team. It doesn't even have to be just the one player. He'll disrupt the entire offense by just getting active hands in there. You mentioned the two blocks. He also had a couple deflections. So I thought his minutes were good. Maybe it's best minutes of the season, to be honest. Yeah, um, it's, it sounds funny to say plus six in five minutes, but, you know, hopefully <laughs> it's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. He needs to, I think he needs to get more minutes. I think he's usurped, you know, Rodion's in the rotation. Um, obviously, Musa was out there for offensive purposes, and he is a guard that can sort of handle the ball and, and run it up in transition and, and in the half-court sort of sets. But, you know, I think Nawaba, in terms of the defensive ability that he brings, you know, if he was out there for certain possessions in terms of balance, you know, we, we would have gotten some more stops in that sort of last half because the majority, if not all of his minutes, I think were in that first half. Yeah, I believe they're all in the first half. And even just checking out the minutes, you know, you asked me about Garrett Temple's minutes before. 29 is, I think, is okay with Karis LeVert being out, but I don't think 23 minutes is enough for Spencer Dinwiddie. I know he didn't close the fourth, but even without closing the fourth, he should be able to get to the mid-20s. Yeah, I thought that... Yeah, I think Coach Kenny can obviously... It's almost like he has a whipping boy every sort of game, you know, in terms of they make a mistake and, and they really get back out there. I thought it was going to be Joe Harris after some early turnovers. Uh, tonight, I guess it was Spencer Dimwini, and we spoke about him, you know, in terms of his sort of fit. But uh, there were times... Uh, there was only probably one or two times where I was really frustrated with him, but then he just got into a groove, and he always looks so much better when there's another guard out there. You know, he's got a nice pick-and-roll chemistry with, with DeAndre Jordan. You know, that is certainly... Important improved markedly um and, and i think that you know even if it was musa out there musa out there i think that he looks better when there's another ball handler because it allow and i guess an extra space if there's one of toy and prince or joe harris because it opens up the lanes for him and i thought that he's aggression you know at times he was settling for jumpers and he was hogging the ball and eating up the clock but in the he felt there was more of a flow you know in my first half notes i was going to ask you i'm like does he need to pass the ball more but then he was just playing within the, the game and within himself in that second half that you know i don't even really need to ask you because you know despite the fact that he only had he did have four assists i thought all of them were just in the flow of the game and he was plus five too yeah i felt like having moose out there with him they had some like good chemistry because moose would bring up the ball and then hit spencer almost in motion where like he already got a head start in his guy and even kind of got to work his mismatch a little bit more and he ended up getting some layups some free throws there was a couple other times where he probably could have got to the line too yeah definitely uh, I, I think that there was just it just looked it sucks because the Nets did so many good things, but, you know, probably the main thing being, you know, uh, Kyrie Irving not hitting his shots. And at the end of the day, everything else almost worked to a, a, a really, really good extent in terms of the fact that this was probably, despite the fact we're losing by five points and still giving up 119 points, I, I thought this was our best defensive game, especially that first half. 
Yeah, I think the first half was definitely our best defensive game, but the second half, there was just so many of these like small details. But Jack, before we get any further, we just want to give a quick word about some of our sponsors. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed. The ancient Greeks didn't need a flex ball or heated handles, and neither did you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge to add gimmicky features to your razor. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. You know, I personally enjoy Harry's. Low price, close shave, keeps my beard edged up nice. You know, they're quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman. It's a German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century which means you're getting an incredibly high quality blade at factory direct prices. Harry's is super convenient. Send the subscriptions right to your house. And listeners to my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with lubricating strips and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade to cover your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation, ongoing care from ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started with Roman is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Complete an online visit. Rectile dis- dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit, free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. But Jack, getting back to, you know, the second half, I know the first half defense was very good, but second half defense, what would be some of the small things that stuck out to you that were like, okay, if they correct this, they win this game in Utah, and all of a sudden they're looking like one of the better teams in the league because we kind of talked about it. The storyline could change. You beat Utah, you beat Portland, you beat Houston, all of a sudden you've beaten some of the top teams in the league. Yeah, um, I guess it's hard to say it because it seemed to me that just Utah were hitting more shots. And it wasn't that they were hitting them from the perimeter. It's just that they were getting better looks. And I think that a lot of it came down to DeAndre being out there and instead of Jared Allen. Yeah. And I think being sort of a stalwart down there. You know, I think DeAndre has better communication and can probably, you know, get the guys together overall. But in terms of as a rim protector, the Nets did, you know, um, go down 56 to 52 when it came to points in the paint. And it seemed to me there were just times where there were some ticky-tacky fouls as well, you know, just on like Mike Conley floaters and, and these sort of shots that I think if you take away some of those things, then, you know, the Nets probably do get the win. But at the end of the day, all it takes is a couple of mistakes for a team like Utah, the quality of the, that they have to really take it to you. Yeah, and I felt like you brought up a great point about DeAndre and how he kind of just sags back too much. And it's been an issue all kind of season long for the defense. And the Nets obviously want to force long twos. But when you're giving up short twos, that's going to be easy for most guards, especially like a guy like Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. These are guys that live off those type of shots. And I just felt like so many times they were getting so deep that even a contested shot, they're going to make it. Even Bogdanovich had a couple times where he got past the elbow. And they're just easy shots for NBA players. And they're easy and I think a lot of those shots as well that we're talking about with Jeff Green and Emmanuel Moutier, you know, you can say the exact same things for those sort of guys. So 
obviously all it takes is a couple of shots and you, you can't give those looks to uh, to a team like the Utah Jazz who again will be contending likely for uh, in, for the NBA finals with with the amount of talent that they have on their roster right now but you know they went to the line you know 10 more times some of them were warranted, some of them weren't. You know, there was some frustrating calls on, on both ends of the floor. So I think overall the Nets defense did a, a, a good enough job. But to beat a team like Utah, you have to be good, that good as you were in the first half for nearly 48 minutes. And I think that that, you know, like those, like you mentioned at the start of the pod, Nick, those five-minute lapses that we talked about in the in the third and fourth, you eradicate those. And this is a, a pretty comfortable Brooklyn Nets win because I thought that we just looked so good in the synergy. It was everything to flow, uh, but then there were just some missed shots and some miscommunication and some, some just made shots by Utah that sort of, you know, turned the tide their way. What do you think the Nets need to do to handle these lapses that they have? Because it's not the first time this happened. It happened in Detroit. It happened in Memphis. It happened in pretty much every loss of the season in some of the wins. They just have these stretches where they're pretty much terrible or just super stagnant for like two minutes. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, it because at that sort of time, you sort of see Kyrie Irving try to get the Nets out of a rut. And in the third quarter, he certainly did do that. You know, he was reinserted into the lineup and he automatically just gets a bucket. But at sometimes, you know, you, you want to just continue to do the things that you did well and that got you there in the first place. At, at the end of the day, you know, Utah were always going to come out really motivated and, and to sort of get back at themselves into the second half. And on the end of a back-to-back to Golden State, you know, I think the Nets could have capitalized on that, having a little bit more rest. So I think it's hard to sort of say. I think at the end of the day, you have to try and execute better. I think Kenny's doing the right things in terms of putting the right lineups out there for the most part. He's calling timeouts at the right time to stop these, you know, extended runs. But I think at least it feels like there's been a minor amount of progress made compared to Detroit, compared to New York, compared to these sort of games, compared to Phoenix. It's hard to sort of take away positives from a from a loss, but I think that you know these sort of extended runs, you know, ten to two runs, you know, thirteen point runs, those sort of things. I think that they were at least manageable, and I think the Nets counted at least somewhat. Um, but you can't again, you just can't give it up against a team like the Utah Jazz, and it's going to be more of the same coming up against Denver, who are a quality team in themselves. Yeah, and I think the fact is like. The runs are going to happen. Like, it just always happens. The NBA is a game of runs. They dealt with the one in the third quarter fine. But the fact is you can't allow another one to happen at the beginning of the fourth quarter. You know, you get the one lapse, that's good. And I think your point of just getting back to what you were doing that worked in the first half, just execute. That's what you got to do. And I think when you start missing shots and the offense gets stagnant, and this is hard to do, but you just have to pick up the defensive intensity. Hey, maybe they're on a 6-0 run, pick them up full court just to try to disrupt what they're doing and trying to change the flow of the game. And I feel like the Nets, instead of doing that, they just almost fall into these lapses a little bit deeper until someone saves them, be Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris 3, or you know Spencer Dinwiddie stepping up. Whatever it is, it's like they wait for it to happen instead of being aggressive and trying to change that run. Yeah, they're being, I guess, in terms of summing up what you sort of saying, they're being reactive instead of proactive, which yeah, is... Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously, you want that to sort of happen, but it's hard when you're in the moment, and I'm, it's it's going to sound like, you know, that I'm, I'm I'm making excuses for the Nets here, but, you know, the, the Utah Jazz are a quality outfit, and, and I mean, I'm, I might be biased because they have another Joe that I love that's from my native country but at the end of the day you know I, I think that if you if you turn that 13-0 run into a 10-0 run and you know that 10-2 run and at the start to like an, an a 10-5 run then you know it evens the ledger somewhat so I think that and you win the game babies exactly you you win the game I think they're taking baby steps and you know it was it was good to sort of say maybe 
this is the sort of turning point that we were sort of talking about last season where there was the film session with the, led by like Jared Dudley and, su and such, whereas Coach Kenny had the surprise practice in the surprise sort of film room. If we had got the win, it would have changed things dramatically and changed this narrative. And now we're coming up on our national TV, heading up against the Denver Nuggets who are coming off a loss to the Atlanta Hawks. And it just sucks because I hate coming up against team in back-to-backs that have had a loss themselves. It just makes me that little bit less confident. And I'm always not that confident anyway, Nick. Yeah, no, it is extremely tough, especially when you're they're playing at home and like they're coming off a loss. Like they're gonna look to beat you. You know, they're not looking to lose that back to back, especially a team like Denver. So the Nets, you know, played a really good first half and had some good stretches in the second half. They're gonna have to be even better if they want to beat the Nuggets, who are another top team in the West. Yeah, especially, you know, Nikola Jokic is starting to get to get things going. You know, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. They've got some quality defensive players and, and Jeremy Grant and, and their wing depth and their, their their bench depth in general, despite the fact that it hasn't been clicking. You know, the Nets are gonna have to step up and hopefully we're recapping a win after that game, mate, because I'm getting a bit you know, I was listening obviously to you and Will recapping the Suns game. I was watching it while I was waiting at LAX Airport. But you know, there's it feels like there's been some progress at least. There has been some progress. Are you concerned that it's taking too long or you're like, okay, I'm not really worried until we're 20 games in? Yeah, I think I can't, I can't remember who I said it to, whether it was to you, whether it was on a, some some other person or I put it on Twitter. I was just speaking to some of the DMs. You would rather these problems be happening at this point of the season than trying to still figure things out 30, 40 games in and even at the end of the season still trying to have these sort of lapses. I think that you have the prototype, you have the blueprint to what to show the team. Okay, this is what we want. How much of that first half was the Utah Jazz, you know, being uh, a little bit lackadaisical and tired coming back to back? Maybe some of it, but I think the Brooklyn Nets were able to capitalize on it. So you show the good, you show the bad, but I think you take more positives away from this loss than maybe any other loss we've had this season. And I think that's pretty easy to say. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the best team they've lost to this season. Like we mentioned, Utah is essentially a finals contender in some people's eyes. So, you know, you had you were up 15 at the half. You know, it sucks that you lost the game because you essentially blew it, but you were able to kind of go toe to toe with Utah. And like you mentioned, they were on the second out of a back to back, so that played a part in it in some way. But you had stretches where, hey, you could take this away. And I think the one thing that makes me feel a little bit more confident is they're losing a lot of games against you know mediocre to bad teams, which hurts. Obviously, the Jazz aren't one of them, but you could talk about the losses to the Pistons, the Grizzlies, you know, even the Pacers to an extent because they're missing so many guys. But now you're showing you can compete with these top teams. So when they actually get in sync, they should be able to get some wins that maybe they're not supposed to get or against a team that might be more talented than them. Yeah, the good teams in the NBA beat the teams that they're supposed to and are competitive against the teams that are above them. You know, right now the Brooklyn Nets aren't a top four Eastern Conference team. They're barely a playoff team with the way that they're playing. And obviously we expect them to be there. But, you know, it's getting competitive now. Teams like the Atlanta Hawks and the Orlando Magic, these sort of teams, the Indiana Pacers, even with all their injuries of playing some good basketball. You know, it's four and six now. You know, you'd rather be at 500, you know, a couple of games. And obviously, the Nets just seem to lose in, in heartbreaking fashion so often. And, you know, it certainly makes it frustrating. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, we get a win against Denver and maybe we talk about this road trip in a more positive fashion. I said we'd go two and three. You were more positive with the three and two. Um, I just want to win. Yeah, I mean, I think I was... Uh... Kind of maybe expecting the win in Portland. I thought hopefully they could get the one in Phoenix, but Phoenix obviously proved to be a little bit better than I thought. There's still going to be an opportunity in Chicago this weekend, but Jack, any other thoughts you want to get out there? No, I'm just frustrated but optimistic, Nick, which is strange for me to say. At, yeah, at least, I think you know, it might be the first time you said it on the show. <laughs> it, it might be. It's the it's first. 
first time I've ever used the O word, but you know, hopefully we take the good things we did in this game. Kyrie Irving gets back to his normal stud self and I think that the Nets have a really good shot against Denver. I'm not going to be horribly optimistic that we'll get the win because I do think Denver are going to bounce back. But if we put up what we did in the first half, then we're going to give ourselves every good chance. Yeah, they need Jared Allen in this game. They need him to play, not get in foul trouble, to have an opportunity against Jokic and maybe attack him with some of his athletic ability against Jokic, who's a little bit more slow-footed. But, Jack, always a pleasure talking Nets with you. And as always, big thanks to everybody for listening. And like we mentioned, we are now part of the Blue Wire podcast network. You can still find us on iTunes, Google Play, otgbasketball.com, and netsrepublic.com. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.